All right, I'm just going to stand off here to the side. Hopefully no one minds. That way everyone can, or as many people as possible, can see the screen here. Oh, I'm really excited to be here. It's been uh, a couple months since I had a chance to, to be with you all here on a Sunday morning. Uh, things have been uh, just uh, moving at a fast pace, let's say. Uh, since the new year, uh, I was able to take a month off uh, on parental leave, which was really exciting. And so I got a chance to just be at home and do some traveling with Ruby and Hannah. Uh, we went to India and Abu Dhabi and Dubai uh, and then had a week to kind of crash before going back to work. We had a great time. Uh, we were really thankful for the opportunity to be able to just kind of go away for a little bit and, and uh, spend some good quality time together as a family. Well, I just want to thank you all for coming out today, and hopefully you're going to enjoy what we're doing here this morning. Uh, there are Bibles at the back, and we just want to let everybody know, if you uh, want to, you can use your app on your phone and, and follow along with our notes, and in the, uh, in the uh, bulletin, there are sermon notes there for you to follow on, or you can use the, the Portico app to help you along with that. And with that app, you can track along with Scripture, with the Bible app as well, but if you need a Bible, we'd be happy to lend you one. So if you raise your hand, the ushers will come down, and then at the end of the service, you can just leave it there on the chair beside you. Um, right now, we are in a sermon series called Clash of the Titans. Now, what this is, it's a biblical look at the battle being waged on a spiritual level, and we're looking at how that impacts us. Last week's sermon, we talked about the uprising, and we were talking about who Satan is, where he comes from, uh, our common misconceptions about him, and the truth about Satan's domain that God has allowed him to have. Now, by the end of that sermon, we were all learning it and realized we don't have to fear Satan, which is great, but we need to understand that he is scheming and he wants to destroy anything to do with God, and that includes you and me. Uh, today, what I want to talk about, though, is what's the result of Satan working uh, like that. And what I want to do is take a look back at the first time that we see Satan uh, at work and at play. Now, who can tell me the first time that they remember hearing about Satan in the Bible? Anybody know? Genesis. Where in Genesis? Anybody can... Uh Yes, the snake. Okay, we're going back to the garden. Now, this is one of the more popular stories in the Bible, and in case you're not familiar with it, uh, this is part of the, the creation narrative that we hear about in the opening chapters of Genesis. And after everything is created, Adam and Eve are in the garden, uh, we hear this story about a snake that comes and starts having this conversation. So our key text is found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. So that's where we're going to turn. And... Uh, if on your Bible there or with your app, you can follow along, and I'll read out the, the, the text here in the NIV. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, you will certainly not die, uh, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband uh, who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. 
So the thing that we're going to be talking about today is sin. Now, the problem here is it's not just to do with sin, but this misconception or this misunderstanding that we have with it. Because people are misguided about the problem of sin and its impact. People think that, in general, when they look at their own lives, that they're pretty good. They'll probably say things like, you know, I really don't do anything too bad. Uh, I live a pretty good life. Or, you know, I don't do anything crazy. You, you know, all in all, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good person. Well, and, and even then, you know, one of the objections that people have with Christianity is that they think be, uh, becoming a Christian is about uh, becoming a good person. That's what they think the purpose of being a Christian is all about. Now, any one of us, though, would easily say that, you know, very quickly off the top of our head could name off several people that are great people, great character people, and they aren't Christian. So, yes, you know, becoming a Christian certainly has an impact on your character development, but that's not at the core of what becoming a Christ follower is all about. The reality is, is we all wrestle with this problem of sin. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. And, you know, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we could probably think back to something that we did in our lives that was not right. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we're talking about anything big or major, but even the littlest thing, the, you know, the white lie, the, the little fib, the little skirting around the corner, you know, speeding down the street past, you know, whatever the speed limit is, all these different things, we could say, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I have done some things that are wrong. So the reality is, well, the truth is that no matter how nice a person we may be, all of us have some measure of sin that we have to account for. And the problem of this systemic sin is, that, is what we call a sin nature. And it's what we inherited from Adam and Eve. Now, when you think about an inheritance, I'm thinking, wow, sin nature, really? I wish I could have inherited something a little better than that, but this is what we end up with. And the reality is now that we face today, or what we face today, stems from what happened back in the garden. So let's take a closer look at what happened there. The first thing that takes place is this character of the serpent that is at work and is having this conversation with Eve. And the first thing that's happening here is treason. So when you hear the word treason, probably what comes to mind is you know this term or this phrase like act of treason that we probably have heard in movies or TV shows uh, when a person is willfully undermining or betraying their own country. Uh, and the same can be said of Satan. You know, last week we learned about how Lucifer became proud and wanted to be greater than God. He was undermining the way God had ordained uh, his role and his place. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, at the beginning of verse 9, it says, The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, and leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. You see, his pride got in the way and destroyed what was once beautiful, leading to his being cast down from heaven. And this was the start of the treason that, that Satan was, uh, was uh, committing. And his intention, as this verse tells us, is to lead the whole world astray. That's his intention. That's what he wants to accomplish. So what's his plan? Well, remember last week, we already talked about the fact that uh, Satan is defeated. We know his place. He knows what the end game is. But between now and then, between now and that final judgment, all Satan wants to do is inflict as much damage on God's creation as possible. And, and namely, that's us. He wants to destroy us and everything that has to do with us and our relationship with God. 
Look, even in the Old Testament, we, talk, we see how Satan was working against Israel. In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, at the beginning of verse 1, it says Satan rose up against Israel. He does this, though, through deception and temptation. You see, it's, it's important to remember that the next time you face temptation, it's Satan who tries to deceive you. Now, think about it. What motivates God and what motivates Satan? You know, God is the one who wants to help you, and he hopes that you have a good life. But what is it that Satan is trying to do? What is Satan's motivation for your life? I think that Satan wants you to do wrong so that you can hurt God. You know, Satan couldn't care less about your well-being. He doesn't care. He has no vested interest in you. So when you're being tempted, it's not like Satan is thinking, you know what, I really think this is good for Josh's life. I I really want the best for him, so this is why I'm leading him this way. Satan couldn't care less about me or you. So everything that he's trying to do is not about your best interest, but it's about him trying to destroy what God is trying to develop and establish in our lives and in our relationship between us and God. So when you're tempted, it's not because Satan has a genuine desire to be, make you happy. He's not looking out for you. Satan just wants to ruin everything that has to do with God, which includes us, his creation, and our relationship with him. And if he can mess that up, he's happy to do it. Uh, John chapter 10, at the beginning of verse 10, says, the, t- the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So let's look back at the key text, and we were reading here about what Satan is trying to do here in the garden. Back here in the key text, uh, Satan commits treason by planting seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. Now look at the question. This was actually something I'd never seen before until I was preparing for today's sermon. The question that he asks, it says, did God really say you can't eat anything? Uh, Sir, you can't eat uh, from any tree? And it's an amazing tactic when you really look at it. Now, we know that what God really said. God said, hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree over here. So now put a placeholder there and look at what Satan asks here. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree? So what Satan does here is he twists it. He says, are you not allowed to eat of any fruit? And initially it may seem like a poor tactic when you think about it. Why is you know, Satan going to the other extreme? Um, since Eve knows that they can actually eat everything. Well, almost everything. And that's how it's done. Satan draws attention to the one thing that Eve can't have. So when she answers it, she says, no, we're allowed to eat everything except this one tree. And all of a sudden, what's at the forefront of her mind? The one thing she can't have. And Satan continues with Eve and outright lies about what God said. God said eating the fruit would lead to death, and Satan says it wouldn't. So no, there was no death in that moment, but there was death in that relationship with God. So when Adam and Eve made this choice, Satan was trying to convince them that, oh, nothing's going to happen. But something did happen, something significant, something grave. There was a death there that, it, that, that occurred. Now, we might ask, well, Adam and Eve didn't really end up dying, so you know, wasn't Satan right? No. What they did ended up leading to the death of their relationship. And so we also can't show, uh, fault God for showing mercy. You know, the fact, well, in the end, it's true. They didn't die or physically die. But what was happening here was God was showing mercy. They deserve to die. That's what we read about in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans six twenty-three, it says, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve and yet it's out of mercy that God doesn't exact that upon us. 
Uh, in John chapter 8, verse 44, at the end of that verse, it says he was a murderer from the beginning. We're talking about Satan here. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so Satan's treason here led to Adam and Eve's treachery. So the first thing that happens here is what? It's Satan's treason. And it leads eventually now to the next thing we're going to talk about, which is Adam and Eve's treachery. So what is treachery? Well, here, it's the one thing that Satan commits. Uh, it's one thing, sorry, to, for Satan to commit an act of treason. But it says, but as I like to say anyway, it takes two to tango. And you've probably heard that saying before, right? Here, Eve begins to question what she was told. I can be like God. Um, I can know good and evil. See, these are the same sort of questions that were asked throughout biblical history. Again, back in the history of Satan, of Lucifer, when he was asking questions, what did he want to do? He wanted to be greater than God. Adam and Eve is what we're studying right now. They wanted to have something that they didn't already have. Even at the Tower of Babel, uh, this is a a story early in, in the Bible that talks about the people gathering together, and they said, we want to build this tower up to heaven because we think we can access God like this. Now, obviously, they couldn't do that, but there was something in their heart that was saying, we think we are as good as God. And that was all of these things here together are showing how we become treacherous in our nature and how we want to just, um, how we want to reach out in, in this sort of way. Now, in the end, though, when it comes to treachery, we can't blame Satan for that because it's our mistake that we exercise our free will and we have to take responsibility for that. Romans, three chapter, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, this idea that we like to blame Satan for our mistakes. Well, I remember this story when uh, early on, I was a little kid. Uh, my sister and I were, I have four siblings, but there's a younger sister of mine. So we're only two years apart. And we grew up next door to two other girls. And we were all about one year apart in age. And so we grew up hanging out together all the time. And I remember one day realizing, wow, there's three girls and one guy, and that kind of sucks. So what am I going to do here? So one, and it was normally fun. It was fine. But for whatever reason, this one particular day, I thought, oh, we were hanging out in the backyard. I didn't want to hang out with uh, them. So I thought, I'm going to find something else to do. So I walked around to the front of the house, went into my garage, and I was looking around. Now, at this point, our garage was a mess. I mean, there was stuff everywhere. We didn't even have room to park it. I don't know if anyone's houses are like that, but I grew up with that. So this is my reality. So there's a lot of stuff for me to get into. So anyway, at this point, my dad, you know, to try and save some money, he would uh, save used tires. You know, if ever there was an emergency, we could just take that tire, pop it in, and we'd be fine. So we had a few tires lying around in the garage. So I found them, and, I, and what I did is I stacked them. Uh, they were lying flat, so I stacked a couple of them up together. And I found a can of motor oil, and I opened it up, and I just I poured it in the middle. Like just, I just wanted to see it kind of pooling up. Uh, obviously, I didn't have enough oil to pull it all the way up, but that's what I was trying to do. So I was like, okay, and I looked there for 30 seconds, and I thought, okay, this is fun, okay, moving on with my day. And I left the garage, gave it not even a second thought. Anyway, hours later, my dad comes home from work, and he was mad. I had never seen him this upset in my life before. So he comes into the house, and the first thing he's yelling is, who's the one that poured the motor oil in the garage? 
And, you know, obviously in my mind it's, okay, I think this is me. And, but <laughs> seeing, seeing how upset my dad was, I thought, okay, I am not going to take the blame for this if there's even the slightest chance this wasn't me. So I said, well, I, I think it was me. So he said, come outside. So I walked with my dad outside. And uh, so this was inside the garage. I'd closed the garage door and everything like that. So as you know, tires are not completely, you know, solid or you know there's a tread on the side and everything like that so what happened was the oil leaked it seeped uh, outside of the tire ran down the garage floor went outside of the garage door down the driveway and onto the street so a couple of things obviously one this is a slip hazard this is not good and also it's a fire hazard and it's going to make a stain all these things so understandably my dad's upset and uh, we come back into the house, so we first we've proven, yes, this was me. So there's no getting around that. So by this time, because of the scene that my dad is making, uh, everyone's kind of gathered in, in the hallway area. So I remember my mom and my two sisters were standing by the, the door of the kitchen. Wow, see, it's like all coming back. My brother was standing... <laughs> My brother was, uh, was standing on the stairs uh, looking down because he was upstairs studying, and me and my dad are standing in the front hallway. And he said, why did you do this? And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, is there anything I can say right now with some... I, I know I'm going to get beat right now, but is there anything I can say right now that would somehow lessen the punishment that I know is about to come? So I thought, okay, maybe I don't need to take full responsibility for this. <laughs> So I said, well, the devil was in me. (laughs) The best thing about this story is that without missing a beat, my dad said, well, let's get him out. (laughs) So, you know, as an Indian family and maybe for other families there, you know, we like to reuse things. And um, so we have lots of little knickknacks lying around the house. So anyway, my mom's a gardener. And sometimes when we have uh, smaller plants and stuff like that, we like to prop it up with stuff. So at this point, we had some bamboo rods uh, lying around the house. And um, so my dad grabbed one and I got the worst beating of my life. He was, anyway, just to allay any fears or concerns here, he hit me on the back of the leg, okay? And, um, and, and for those of you who would say, okay, punish with corporal punishment, whatever, I'm the kind of person that needed this kind of stuff. Now, I will say this, my dad never uh, before or since ever gave a beating that bad, usually just a spanking, you know, using his hand or anything like that. And, and for proponents who say grounding or whatever, I tried it. I convinced my mom to try that one time. I broke my grounding. It was like, it was no use. So for me, spanking worked and I, I'm, that was fine. So anyway, let's continue. <laughs> The funny thing is, years later, years later, we're celebrating my dad's 60th birthday, and we're just kind of sharing stories, and I start sharing this story, and I'm looking over as I'm saying this, and my dad's mouth is starting to drop. He's like, like this, and I was like, so apparently my dad forgot that this had ever happened. And I was like, are you kidding me? Which made it all the more funnier for us, because we thought this was like a big thing that happened in our lives. Now, my dad loves me. There's no concern here. Don't worry about it. Don't need any phone calls or anything like that. So, The point here is this, what? Many times, whether we mean it or not, uh, you know, we would like to say, yeah, the devil made me do it, or the devil was in me. We like to make the excuse thinking that, yeah, it's Satan's responsibility. Satan is the reason why I do what I do. No, Satan maybe puts the the elements around us to to lead us astray. He will tempt us or he will test us, certainly, uh, and he will deceive us. But in the end, the decision is ours. The treachery is our own. We are the ones that have to take responsibility for the decisions we make in the end. 
So looking back at our story here in, in Genesis, it's important to understand how Eve went from holiness to brokenness. The key text here says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now at the moment of her decision, look at what she saw. She saw that the fruit was good for food. She saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom. Anyone notice anything about these characteristics? They're all true. There was nothing wrong with what she just said. It was all those three things. It was good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. This is what the fruit did. But the problem is, that's all she saw. What she didn't see was that this was not what God wanted, that God had commanded them not to eat of this fruit. And in that moment, Satan had been successful in his deception. And she ended up seeing only what she wanted to see. And what's more, her deception made her want to share the experience with Adam. And so Adam ended up sinning. So Eve's sin led to Adam's sin. And this is what we call the sin nature. It's this perpetual nature. Sin only breeds more sin and it breeds death. Romans chapter 5 uh, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. You see, sin is a choice. And, and when you hear this, you may ask a, a, a fair question. You know, why would God even put a forbidden fruit in the garden in the first place? You know, really, why would God want to do that if there's so much potential for destruction and um, mayhem to, to take place here? Well, here's the thing. God created people to have free will because programming a robot to love you is not real love. It isn't. You know, if I choose to love someone, then that person knows that that love is real. But with the option to choose comes the very distinct possibility that I might not choose what you want. And in this case, Adam and Eve ended up choosing themselves and their desires and what they wanted over what God wanted. And this was a betrayal of trust. Uh, James chapter 1, for, uh, verse 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, Eve was tempted by Satan, but it was through his deception and lying that evil desires were birthed in Eve, which led to sin and in turn led to death. And not only uh, that, but Eve uh, being deceived led to, led to Adam's blatant disobedience. You know, at least Eve had to be persuaded to do something wrong. Adam just up and ate it. And all of the women here said, amen. It's that easy, right? Now, truth be told, there, there, and just to make sure that people understand, there was nothing magical about the fruit that, uh, that we hear of in, in this passage. There was nothing magical about it, uh, about eating this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was just a symbol of obedience and trust. And here's the heartbreaking thing that the creation narrative tells us of another tree that existed in the garden. It was called the tree of life. And by the time that all of the punishment is exacted and what eventually happens is Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, we hear mention of the fact that God says, let's make sure that they don't eat of the tree of life uh, because they might on, live on forever. Now, with the opportunity that Adam and Eve had to eat of any fruit within the garden, they missed up on the opportunity to have everlasting life. Look at that. 
The one thing that they couldn't have, that's what they chose to fixate on. You know, something that we overlook far too often uh, with our sin is the consequences. You know, for Adam and Eve, their eyes were open and they saw that they were naked and then they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. They thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to enjoy the fruit. They didn't realize, hey, there are consequences here. Now, all of a sudden, something which they didn't even realize was going to happen, they realized that they were naked. Well, you know, as promised, Adam and Eve knew good from evil, but they didn't realize what that meant to know good uh, from evil. Their innocence was gone. You know, before it made no difference. There was no issue that they didn't have any clothes or anything like that. But once they knew right from wrong, they realized, oh, there's something wrong here. And so just instinctually, they realized, okay, we need to cover ourselves up. Um, my cousin Alex uh, has, a, uh, has a son, his elder son. And when he was just a toddler, you know, just learning how to speak or, and uh, just kind of learning right from wrong, he tells the story about one of the first times he ever did something wrong. And he said what happened was um, he found his son standing there and with his uh, hands over his face, just standing like this. And my cousin Alex said, what's wrong, Samuel? And he said, I did something wrong. And my cousin remarked, it was incredible how even for a small toddler, knowing that he had done something wrong, had this instinct to hide. Now, obviously, it wasn't great. He was literally standing in the middle of the room. But what was he doing? He was covering his face. He felt ashamed. There's something in us that knows that when we do something wrong, that it's not good, and we feel shamed, and we want to hide. And this is the thing. This kind of issue will pass on from generation to generation. This issue perpetuates itself. It's what we call the sinful nature, and all of us have to deal with it. So yes, Adam and Eve are the ones that first sinned, but because sin gives birth to more sin and leads to death, all of us wrestle and struggle with the reality that we all have a sinful nature. Uh, The verse I mentioned before, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now that I've thoroughly dampened the mood here, what are we to do? Now, if all of us are resigned to to a life of, uh, of sinful Uh, uh, to living a life of of a sinful nature, what's the point of all this? Well, it's not about the treason that Satan committed. It's not about the treachery that we commit uh, or are capable of committing. The the good thing is that there's hope and it's trust. See, God made a promise that even in the midst of the sin that Adam and Eve committed, even in the midst of God's broken heart about the situation that was unfolding, God was willing to promise hope in the midst of that. You know, the beautiful thing is that this was not the end of Adam and Eve's story. God gave them that promise that one day they would have victory and that the seed of the woman would crush the enemy's head. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. See, God stepped into their situation and intervened for the moment and also for hope uh, for the future as well. And instead of fig leaves for coverings, we see here that what he did, what God did was he provided skin, uh, animal skins for them. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 21 says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And I think this was a foreshadow of what was to come. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about what unfolds is this sacrificial system. This thing that uh, exists basically where an animal is sacrificed or killed in order to atone for a person's uh, mistakes. Death alone is what can atone for some, uh, a person's sin. And in the Old Testament, an animal had to die in order to cover the cost of the sin. 
But an animal is not the same thing as a person. Yes, blood is shed, and it it symbolizes the fact that something had to die, but a a person is not on the same level as an animal. And that's the problem with the sacrificial system. It was a symbol, but it was never enough. And that's why the Israelites, week after week, year after year, had to pay these sacrificial offerings, these sin offerings, to atone for and account for all their mistakes. Uh, Romans 5 verse 15 says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. And that gift is Jesus. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And that's the beautiful thing here, that that hope that we have now is here available for us. So even though Adam and Eve broke their trust with God, it was God who responded and began the path toward fully restoring that relationship with him. So just as it wasn't the end for Adam and Eve's story, it doesn't have to be the end of your story either. We all have a problem of sin that needs to be dealt with. And, and no matter how nice a person you are, and I'm sure everyone here is nice and really, doesn't, really tries not to do anything bad, I get that. But no matter how nice a person we are, it doesn't, uh, that isn't what matters when it comes to accounting for the mistakes that we make, even if they are only a few. God said that the penalty of sin is death, and that's separation from God, whether it's physical or spiritual, however you want to look at it, that's the result of what we do. And the neat thing, though, is at Easter, which is what we're coming up to this coming week, we celebrate the fact that God made a way for us that God made a provision for us to restore that relationship and that trust with him once again. Remember, animals just don't cut it. It had to be a person that would die in order to atone for a death. Now, we're the ones that deserve to die. We're the ones that made the mistake. But what good is a relationship with God if, if we're dead? So Jesus dying on our behalf allows us that opportunity to have that relationship with God once again and restore it. But it's a choice that you have to make. God makes this gift of forgiveness available to each and every one of us, but it's something we have to accept for ourselves. It's an analogy that I often use when I try to help people understand, you know, why we have to seek forgiveness from people or or how forgiveness works and and to receive the gift of forgiveness from God. You know, I may have um, a gift and, and I would give it to Hannah, for example, on her first birthday. I want Hannah to have that. Um, and I could wrap it for her. I know it's for her. I even write her name. But until Hannah takes that gift and receives it as her own, it's not hers. That gift can exist, and that gift is available to all of us. But until you make a decision to receive that gift of forgiveness for yourself, it's not there. You may believe in God. You may believe, yeah, okay, I made a mistake. Yeah, okay, I believe that Jesus uh, died for me. But you have to receive. You have to be willing to accept that forgiveness for yourself. And that's what I want to give you the opportunity to do here this morning. So as we're wrapping up, I just, we're going to invite you to just close your eyes and just take a moment right now just to kind of think through where you are at in your relationship with God. And I think we're probably in, in one of two camps. Uh, maybe for some of us in this room, you've never made that decision before. And this is something that whether today for the first time or something you've been hearing for the last several weeks or months or even years has been this something that's kind of been kind of... Uh, pricking at your heart, and you've been wanting uh, to respond in some way, but you never knew what the issue was. And, and maybe today the, the light bulb has finally turned on. Well, I want to give you that opportunity to be able to receive that gift of forgiveness. You know, for all the treachery that we've committed, God still has hope for you. Or maybe there are people in this room that 
you know, already have a relationship with God, but they recognize that there is still sin there and that what they are doing is just breaking God's heart over and over and over again. And we want to have victory in our life once again. We remember what it was like when we first gave our heart to Christ and we became a Christ follower. And we loved that joy and that sense of release and that sense of peace and freedom that we experienced. And now when we look back, it seems like a distant memory because now it seems like our life is just fully bogged down with the memory and the taste of bitterness of where we're at right now. And it hurts you and you don't know how to get out of that. Thank God that that gift of forgiveness is always there waiting for you. God loves you. He has never stopped loving you. In fact, there's nothing that you could do that would ever stop God from loving you. It's an amazing truth. God never becomes indifferent towards you. Yeah, when we sin, we break his heart and maybe he gets sad, maybe he gets angry, but that's motivated out of what? Out of love. God loves you. That's what it's for. So in this moment, I just want to give you the opportunity to search your heart and to respond in whatever way possible or whatever way you think best. If it's about making a first-time decision, that's great. Or if you just want prayer, uh, just to say, you know what, I I need to, to get things right with God once again. I was there once before, but not now. Then this is your opportunity to respond for that. So with everyone's eyes closed, I just want to see you show a quick show of hands. You can put your hand up or down, uh, up and then down uh, for one of those two things, whether uh, you're making a decision for the first time or if uh, you just want prayer that, uh, that God would help restore that relationship that you've already had with him. Great. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity where we've heard from your word. Um, And our heart breaks when we realize that we had everything. We had relationship and fellowship with you in the garden. There was nothing that we were lacking. And yet we, as humanity, decided to go against you. And we stepped outside of your perfect will and plan for our lives. And despite the treachery that we commit, despite the willful acts of sin, and deceit that we commit, Lord God, we are so grateful that right now, in this moment, we can be reminded once again that you provide hope, that we can trust in the fact that you have made a way for us. And so, God, for those who are making a a decision for the first time, Lord, I want to thank you, God, for just leading them to that place. And Lord, right here, right now, we just pray that, Lord, as they make that decision to receive that gift of forgiveness from you, that you, God, would let them know in a very tangible way that they are loved and that you forgive them and that they would experience that peace and joy even right now. And Lord, for those of, uh, those of us here in the room that um, have had that relationship with you in the past but are not in a place that would be considered ideal, that we've stepped out of your will, Lord, I just pray that you would just bring us back to you, draw us back to you, remind us of that first love that we have. And Lord God, help us for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves on that spiritual journey. Lord, when we face temptation, when we face the attacks of the enemy, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to keep our eyes on you and to put our hope and faith and trust in you, Lord God. And we want to thank you for that. Thank you for your love and thank you for reminding that of, uh, again, that this morning, Lord God. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.